The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the eighth chapter. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest you, Ye shall be free, be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the Son abideth ever. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. A few weeks ago, I attended a lecture by a Lutheran attorney and apologist on the power and usefulness of evidential apologetics. That's kind of a mouthful. Okay, let me break it down. He argued that Christians possess sufficient evidence or evidences to change the minds of unbelievers who, if they reject our good evidence for the truthfulness of the gospel, must also reject the entirety of Western law. Western law, of course, is based on moving a jury, or I guess a judge, from a place of neutrality, remember we're innocent until proven guilty, to judgments of guilty or not guilty based solely on the evidence offered. In the same way, he said, our spiritual commitments, our uh, evangelism, and our defense of the Christian faith, which is what apologetics is, can be and should be attempts to convert these supposedly neutral, like a jury, neutral unbelievers to faith, using evidence to change their mind. So I think he essentially deputized all of us uh, to be attorneys who are charged with offering evidences to unbelievers so they can be won to Christ and saved forever. Now, I have some critiques of this method, but some of what he said I found particularly objectionable. For example, in defending the use of evidences over and against other methods, he gave reasons as to why his method should not be rejected. In other words, there are people, cranky curmudgeons like me, who do offer criticisms of his method and approach, and he was trying to cut us off at the pass. He was going to say, I know there are people out there like, like Pastor McClanahan who don't like this, but let me tell you why he's not right. So he said, for example, that the fact that people are inherently sinful That does not mean that they can't assess evidence honestly. Sure, sin is a problem. Sure, we all agree with that. But people are not so sinful that they can't evaluate evidence. After all, sinful people sit on juries all the time. And don't we task them with evaluating evidence? Now, I found that argument 
strange and naive and, frankly, out of step with our Lutheran tradition. Sure, there are lots of Lutherans in name only that give lip service to our tradition and theology. Uh, They might view humanity as this gigantic, neutral, blank slate. Heck, even a lot of Christians, probably, you know, over half, uh, would who should know better, but that goes so far as to say, hey, people are basically good. But as Romans 3 makes clear, uh, the scriptures would disagree with that, and we'll look at those texts in a moment. Therefore, to minimize the problem of sin when it comes to unbelief is just not a position that Lutherans should hold. And to point out something that I hope is obvious to you, The role of a juror and the reality of spiritual unbelief are not equivalent at all. I hate to break it to you, but jurors are not nearly as neutral as you might think. That's why, should you ever be on trial, you will pay your attorney a lot of money to pick the best possible jury in favor of you. But more importantly... Jurors are not deciding their own fate, but the fate of someone else. Now, I would never say that jurors take that task lightly. I'm sure almost all of them take it very seriously. But there is a profound difference from being one of 12 who's sitting in judgment of someone else rather than looking deep within, which is what essentially the apologist is asking you to do, and judge yourself. Or, more to the point, realize that God is the one who is in a position to judge you. Very different things. But even more importantly than that, matters of the Spirit are never neutral affairs. To put it bluntly, yes, the problem of sin is so severe, so significant, that it does indeed change how we assess everything, including evidence. We do it all the time, right? Have you ever sinned knowing full well that it was the wrong thing to do and it was a really dumb thing to do and a lot of people did it before you and it didn't turn out well and yet you did it anyway? Yes, you have. We all have. Have you ever ignored good evidence, and good arguments because you already had a prior commitment to something that you really wanted to be true. right? So you ignored the evidence so that you could continue on with this prior belief. Yes, you have done that. Or to get back to the metaphor, has there ever been a jury who got it wrong in spite of incredible evidence, maybe because of external forces like threats of rioting, the wealth or fame of the defendant, or, say, mafia intimidation on the jury. Yes, such juries have gotten it wrong many, many times. But the question of our fundamental problem cannot be overstated. And understanding the depth of the problem also cannot be overstated. And knowing what God has done about it should never go unstated. That really is what the Reformation was about. Martin Luther and company argued 
that the Catholic Church both thought too little and too much of sin. They thought so little of sin that they actually taught that years of purgatory could be just bought off if you bought an indulgence. You can make a pilgrimage and do the same, or pray before relics, or just rotely participating in the sacraments of the church. Bam, those years of purgatory, they just start whittling away. That's not really thinking much of the problem of sin, is it? And yet they thought so much of sin. It was such a huge problem that even the death of Jesus Christ did not atone for sin. Even God becoming flesh and being crucified and risen from the dead, that was not sufficient for the forgiveness of your sin. So beginning exactly 504 years ago today, Martin Luther reminded the world that our sin wasn't just a problem, it was the problem. The scriptures teach that the depth of our sin is such that it affects every area of our life and our being. Our minds and souls and bodies are all degraded by sin. Paul says this in Romans 3, before the uh, part that we read today, verse 9, 19, he says, he's quoting the Psalms, by the way, no one does good, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, there is no one who seeks God. Just to look at this one example then, do people not believe because they lack evidence? I happen to think the answer is no that the effects of sin are so far that they assess even the way that we assess something like evidence. And I think that really should be obvious to any Christian who has deeply assessed their own heart. The problem for Roman Catholics of the 16th century, and I would argue that in principle many of these issues still exist, was that they... Uh, were told that they were sinners, but the solution was never sufficient. It's like having to pay $100 in rent every month, but only ever making 90 In the church, you were never really free because there was always more work to do. For those sensitive souls who really did care about the depth of their sin, they became miserable. And Luther for all of the jokes we make about what a hard guy this German guy was, he was a softie at heart. He was a very sensitive guy, deeply aware of his own sin. And that is why he admitted that he hated God. Loved God. He hated God. God was this horrible, wrathful judge, and he could never get away from his judgment. The problem was that the church was teaching a false gospel. As hard as this may be to believe, and it's hard to believe because we live after the Reformation, the Church of Luther's day actually taught that the gospel was a new law and Jesus Christ was a new and stricter law giver. So the relief that we understand the gospel to be, the unmerited, really demerited forgiveness of even our worst sins, the promise of everlasting life in the presence of a loving God, 
where death and disease and terror and corruption no longer are our constant companions. That relief is real. Well, it's real if you're honest with yourself and you admit the depth of your sin and you recognize what God has done about it. So no, I don't think we should ever underestimate the problem and effects of sin, especially if we are talking to unbelievers about their unbelief. If evidence alone solved all of our problems, well, I wish we lived in such a rational world. But the real reason that we should never underestimate the power of sin is because we know how the story ends. It ends with God becoming flesh, bearing the sin of the world, being crucified for your sin, and rising from the dead. Those who trust in Christ are justified by him, by their faith in him, as an act of grace. Their sins do not count against them. And that work by Christ is not just necessary for our work, for, for our salvation. Right? It's not like one piece of a puzzle and we fill in all the rest. It is sufficient. It is all that is needed. And this was the core teaching of the Reformation. So let's tell the whole story. Okay? The one where we reject God. We are in rebellion to God and we are sinners before God. But God, out of his love for us, dies for us and has been risen from the dead. And let us not present it as evidence, as though the unbeliever is some neutral, you know, impartial jury member. But let us appeal to the truth that they already know. Jeremiah 31, the law that is written on their hearts. For all unbelievers know that they are unbelievers. They know that God exists, and they know that they are in rebellion. And we can dare to say, all of that without watering it down because we can include the rest of the story, the story that was rediscovered by the reformers, the story of the crucified and resurrected Christ for the forgiveness of all sin, even yours. Amen.